In this week's episode of Studio Inter, we'll be reviewing the Champions League game against Barcelona, the Serie A match against Lazio. We'll be previewing the Genoa game, this week's Moji, Moratti and Frog, and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter, only on sempreinter.com. Ecco Perisic, uno contro uno, gioco di gambe, guadagna il fondo, il cross, Icardi, e gol, 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 Maurito il Bamba! Sono i blocchi nell'area di rigore, arriva la palla, la prende Messino! La prende Messino! Che segna solo contro le Romane e segna il gol del 3-1! Per una vittoria eccezionale! Eccezionale! Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. I'm your host, Nimatoaloi Ruzzari, wishing everyone welcome to a new week uh, and a new win. And a kind of a, uh, and also a loss, but we'll focus on the positive things. Um, and here to uh, go through all of that with me, I'm joined by the gentleman ultra himself, Mr. Richard Hall. Welcome. Good evening, gentlemen. I think I'm going to keep coming on here if we keep winning in Syria. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're our lucky charm this season. Uh, uh, and we're also joined by the host of the Alex Dono show, Mr. Alex Dono, all the way from Florida. How are you? Hey guys, I'm great. I've got still have a pep in my step after that Lazio victory. That was awesome. <laughs> Indeed, it was. And we are also joined by uh, uh, Semprinter.com and Serpents of uh, Inter.com's very own um, Will Beckman. Welcome, Will. Good evening. I don't have a pep in my step because I have a bit of a cold, but I do have an Inter scarf sat right next to me, so I'm ready for the next hour. <laughs> That's awesome. And we're also very happy uh, to be joined by an ESPN senior writer. He also writes for The Times, Corriero della Sport. He's written four books. When you talk about Italian football in English, it's this man is defines it pretty much. Welcome to, back to Studio Inter, Mr. Gabriele Marcotti. Thanks, guys. Happy to be on. It's good to have you on, especially after a win. You were on last season, uh, last year, when we weren't going through a very good phase. So it's good to have you on when we're in a, in a, good, in a good place. Yeah, not just a win, but but a performance too. And I think um, for me, that's my biggest takeaway from uh, from last night. Yeah, I mean, let's get into that because I'm kind of keen to hear um, your your thoughts on how Inter progressed. I mean, the start to the season was hardly ideal, um, but since then, six wins in a row in the Serie A, two wins in the Champions League. Um, why do you think, uh, like, why do you think Inter have been have managed to turn things around? What's the main reason? Well, I mean, for me, the the, the turning around, I, I I look at, I, I tend to look at, for myself as I grow older, I tend to look at performances more than results. Um, just something I've, I've come to believe because I think performances are a better indication of, of, of sort of uh, future results. Um, and I always think back to the season with Mancini when Inter was winning all those games, you know, 1-0 and... Uh, Handanovic was making all those saves and they were so lucky and people were saying, oh, but look, well, you know, this is great. It's a sign of a great team that they win while playing badly. Uh, you know, when they were top, I think, in, in early November. And, you know, and actually, no, that's not the sign of, of, of a good team to win while playing badly. It's just a sign of, of a team that's playing badly. And, <laughs> you know, when I, I saw a lot of ups and downs, like, I, you know, I, the, 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 the Torino game, uh, which I think might have been one of the last games that the Inter didn't win, I thought that was a good performance marked by individual errors. That can happen. Um, I look at the Spa game, for example, and I thought that was a bad performance where, where, where Inter were, were probably fortunate to, to, to take the three points. And 
what I look at the um, in, in the Champions League, you know, that win, goodness me, Handanovic could have gotten sent off. You know, that was nothing to, to, to write home about, again, other than the result. But then against Milan and uh, now, you know, jumping ahead, <laughs> jumping over the Barcelona game, uh, which obviously is, is, is a different kettle of fish, you know, to, to the Lazio game. Those are two really, really big wins and two really big performances. And that's, that's something you can build on. Mm. Um, Will, did you have a question for Gab? I did, yes. It's actually about the, um, what happened after the game more than about the game itself. But uh, I know this is something that Gab has spoken about on other podcasts in the past. Um, Spalletti, um, he has a problem when it comes to talking to the press because like so I should just summarize for people who didn't see it last night he basically he came into the post-match interview and Bergui was really nice to him he was saying you know Luciano you had a great you know you had a bit of a difficult start to the season but now you're playing really well and normal people at that point say gee thank you this is great we're playing I, I really appreciate it from a legend like you but Spalletti doesn't do that he says, well, well, hold on a minute, a week ago you said we were playing really badly and now you're saying this, what's wrong with you? And he just could have created this really weird sort of conflict that is, seems to be getting bigger and bigger throughout the year. He's got a real bee in his bonnet this year. And I just wanted to, to ask, is this actually a problem? Could this cause, could this derail us if it keeps happening or can I just keep laughing at it? Because it is quite amusing seeing him sort of get these compliments and then turn them into these massive arguments. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, you hit it on the head. This is something. And, and Spalletti wasn't like this earlier in his career. When he was at Roma the first time around, you know, he, he was a very, very cerebral guy. And, you know, he had, he had a bit of pride about him, but he could be slightly, tiny bit prickly sometimes. I think all of this happened when he went to, to Zenit. In fact, I, I spoke to somebody who worked with him at, at Roma. Um, in fact, on both occasions. And he said they were like two different people. And he sort of described, he, he went to see Spalletti when he was in St. Petersburg. And, you know, he, he sort of compared him to, if you guys remember, um, maybe from school, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, where, where sort of, uh, you know, Mr. Kurtz, like sort of goes down the river with the natives. And then kind of, he ends up going insane. They treat him like a god. And uh, it, it's, it's a little, or or indeed, apocalypse now. Uh, it's it, it, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like this. I mean, I, we, we saw it. Well, we saw it in Rome. We saw it last year too. Remember that whole absurd back and forth that he that he had with Sarri, which was, we, 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 which was totally unnecessary. And you know, the two were needling each other. I mean, I don't think it's a good look for him. From what I understand about Inter. Um, it's not affecting the players uh, because one thing, uh, and, and we have to give Spalletti credit for this, I think, is when things go badly, he hasn't thrown the players under the bus. He hasn't, he hasn't complained about signings. Now, some might say it's because he got the players he wanted. Um, you know, he has his fixations, like, like every other manager, and he's a bit eccentric. But it seems to me like, yeah, he's he's kind of reserving his. Uh, his outbursts for for the media or or ex pros turned pundits. 
I have a question on that because um, I've been thinking about this because I've I've looked at it from a different perspective, and that's the fact that Inter, uh, I mean Inter's history and Inter's role in Italian football always being the underdogs, so to speak, and always feeling that Juventus and Milan have 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 kind of kicked them out to the side, and 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 you know Inter have always been uh, marginalized by these 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 two other clubs. I think that in any other club, that behavior by Spalletti would be a reason that would be would be disruptive. Whilst at Inter, when you look at someone throughout Inter's history, if you look at someone like Trapattoni, if you look at someone like Mourinho, they kind of they they create these, as Will says, these arguments. But that that falls well at Inter um, because it's the, the the culture of the club and also the group and and that dressing room and, and that, everything that shapes that club. That actually is something that they use as to, to galvanize themselves. That, that's my take on it. Do you agree? Yeah. It's. I mean, it's 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 possible. I what I would say is obviously, you know, if you speak to people from Roma, you know, they'll tell you that you know, boy, if he did think they've been marginalized, what about us? You know, <laughs> um, obviously, look, creating the whole siege mentality, us against the world thing, you know, that's that's coaching one hundred and one, right? Mm-hmm. Mourinho tries to do it, even though he's man, even Mourinho <laughs> even tries to do it when he's managing Manchester United and Real Madrid, you know. <laughs> I, uh, some people are just built that way. I, I don't know if it's just that. I, I just think he takes a lot of stuff personally um, because it's often not about the team. It's often, uh, I find, about tactical decisions, about himself. Uh, look, he's an unconventional man, and I, I just think, you know, you, you got to take it as a quirk. And like I said, as long as it's not affecting the players, as long as he's not falling out with them, um, then, you know, then you live with it. Richard, what was that? Um, sorry, I was because what was okay. that quote that Sabatini had about him last year? He said he was madness's neighbor or something. That was <laughs> it was quite a good li- <laughs> quite a good line. <laughs> right, Richard. Hi, Gab. How's it going? Um, I've you? also got a question, just um, a bit off the field rather than on it. On this one, there's still rumours that uh, ex Juventus director Beppe Marotta has agreed to become Inter's new general manager. Um, Nima just made a point then, which we always talked on here, and I think it's fairly obvious in the fact that, you know, Inter are, and most clubs in City, if not all of them, are are the long way behind Juventus. Do you feel that if this came to fruition and Beppe Marotta had a role at Inter, that it it would help them take the next step um, to to continue on the project in, in a better format than they have been doing? Or do you think that, as with many that have come before him, the, you know... Inter may just affect Beppe Marotta, or you may also think that he's perhaps past his sell by date in some respects. I don't think he's past his sell by date uh, at all. I, I think that's just one mm. of the, the, the stupid things, along with many other stupid things, that Desiree Andreanelli, you know, occasionally says or or quite <laughs> often says. Um, <laughs> it was like his excuse to, to 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 get rid of him. I mean, I think the real reason he left, or a big part of the reason, is as you guys might know. Uh, or, or might have heard, um, he wasn't on board with the signing of Cristiano. He thinks that the club, that the Juventus won't be able to afford him over the long run, and he's uncomfortable with the fact that you know the, they they need to you know make a ton of money in, in player trading or, or plus valenza as we call them in Italy uh, every season. He doesn't think that's healthy. He preferred a more organic growth. Um, it's funny with Marotta because. Um, I have a friend who's, uh, who's a big Atalanta fan, and he absolutely hates Marotta from his time there because he blew a 
it's like basically the club's entire budget for three years on two horrendous signings, both of them from Milan, Comandini and Saudati. So it became like a running joke. But you look at what he's done in the last, you know, seven years at, at Juve, and that's pretty impressive. And it's not just the victories on the pitch. It's also, you know, keeping a lid on Conte and getting the best out of him when he was with Conte. Mm. Um, I, I think he's operated really, really well. Um, if it means that, you know, he keeps Mr. Ozilio away from the transfer market, I think that's a bonus. Um, I think when you look at, you know, some of the people who've cycled through Inter and Inter have had a huge turnover um, of, 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 of club officials and, and then people at the top. The weirdly, Ozilio is still there. Um, I, I, I think if Marotta can bring some stability, um, I think that's good, right? I mean, you know, Inter gone through through Bowling Brook. I mean, even freaking Fasone was there, which I you know still still kind of gives me the creeps when I think about it. Um, so I think we need to be clear too, though, that you know the guy's not a miracle man, right? Uh, Inter are still slightly hamstrung uh, by what by what they can do. You know, financial fair play hasn't gone away. Um, the commercial improvements. I think they've done a really good job there. One story that I thought was hugely underreported at the time, um, back in January, when no one, I mean, this is going to sound boring if you're, into num- if you're not into numbers and finance, but, but I think it's important. You remember when Inter issued that, that bond to, mm-hmm. uh, to raise yeah. money? Yeah. Um, so I have a good friend here who's, who's a hedge fund manager, and, and he was offered that bond, and he called me and he says, like, oh, this is nonsense. You know, who the hell's going to go and... And, and spend money on this, it's football, it's rubbish, blah, blah, blah. And it didn't even, you know, have like a, a very high, um, even pay very high rate. And then he called me like a couple of days later and he says, dude, this is absolutely insane. You know, they, they, I think they were, they were twice oversubscribed. It was an absolute rip-roaring success. And what that means is, well, A, Inter got a ton of money in uh, at a relatively cheap rate, which is good for the club. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it means B that, you know, either they hired the be- very best fit people in the world to go and sell it, um, or, you know, guys, serious people looked at it and said, you know what, this is worth our time. This is worth our money. There's a ton of potential there. And, um, so I think, you know, there was actually a lot of good work that's maybe not exciting to, to many, but which is important to the club that was happening before the scenes, sorry, behind the scenes and, you know, and, and hopefully, Marotta can can take it can take it to another level, but you know I also don't think you can expect miracles um, from him because you know he is one guy. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you there's still saying he probably will work alongside Alessandro Antonelli as well. Antonelli, sorry. So you know, maybe, hopefully, hopefully, let's see what happens. But uh, it's a good point because I don't think he can do it perhaps all on his own. Did I notice that you're not a big Auxilio fan, there, Gab? <laughs> No, I mean, I've I've met the guy once, perfectly nice man, Um, but I also think, you know, inter signings over, you know, since he's been there and been involved, uh, which is what, however many X years, um, I think they pretty much speak for themselves, you know, and you can pass the buck, and look, not that before when you know when when it was Branca and whatever that things were were much better but um at times they were 
and you know the the, the I just go back to the Gabby Gall Joe Mario and and I ask myself, you know, in a normal industry, you know, a boss goes and says, you know what, you tried your best. Now let's go and give somebody else a chance. And look, and maybe that's what they did with Sabatini last year. And and it was more a question of, oh, but look, you know, Alzillo's such a nice man. Let's give him, you know, let's just shift him horizontally somewhere else. But, but it, you know, but if you look at, I mean, if you look at this this uh, defensive lineup now with Skriniar, Defray, Asamoa, and Versalco that he's put together for basically peanuts, that's pretty good, isn't it? I'm not a Versalco guy. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I the Croatia don't get to the World Cup final. I I don't know that you know this guy. We think of him in in, in the same way we do. Um, you know, Asamoah and Defry on on, on on freeze, sure. You know, I like that. Uh, but equally, you got to ask the question. You know, free transfers generally aren't free. They come with big, enormous, yeah. whopping contracts yeah. and big commissions that you got to <laughs> that you got to take care of. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, Defry looked very well in his. You know, he looked great in a certain system at um, at Lazio, and he's a good player and. You know, if the alternative is going and, and wasting thirty million on, you know, on somebody's recommendation for some other Brazilian dud or whatever, then yeah, sure, I'll take the fry. But um, you know, I, I don't put it this way. I don't think signing Asamoa from Juventus or or De Fry from um, from Lazio, uh, when these guys are free agents and their agents are going around knocking on the doors of every single club, I don't think that that's necessarily transfer genius there okay alex do you have a question yeah and you know to build on that uh the one summer signing that i was most critical of personally was that of keita balde i'm curious to your thoughts first of all one of the versions that we heard through the press and i know that there's a lot of information that comes out during transfer time much of it may not be true but one of the versions was that they essentially passed up on vidal for balde in order to hold that final non-EU spot for Balde. Uh, is, is that the version that you understand to be true? And, and I'd like to hear your thoughts overall on Keita Balde and if you see him maybe uh, gaining some serious form soon. So more broadly, uh, what I heard about Keita Balde is that he's a player that Spalletti specifically requested. You know, they, they obviously had different alternatives. Um, there was some talk, too, about... You know, what sort of backup do you get for Icardi? Because you want somebody who can who who can come in and be an alternative to him, but also isn't going to cast shade on him, right? You, you don't you're you don't want to go and spend big sums of money for a guy who's just going to sit on his bench on, on the bench because Valetti's not going to play two strikers. Um so obviously that was that was something that, that played on their minds. And because Keita Balde can, you know, he's not he's not a traditional center forward, but he can play up front and, and has done so with, with some success, uh, even on his own. Um, and of course he can play on the wing. That was, that was the appeal of, uh, of Balde that, you know, a, he, Keita was somebody who Spalletti thought had a big upside. Uh, he'd obviously been in Italy before. Um, and the thinking was that, you know, he, he can, he, he can cover different roles and he's also, this surprised me a little bit. He's also somebody who deals with the bench very well. Some people even say too well. Um, so I think he saw him as, as, as a good kind of squad addition. 
That's pretty cool. Um, I, I have a. I just wanted to uh, pick your brain a little bit uh, regarding the Barcelona game. Um, I, I mean, Inter. There was no doubt that Barcelona were better than than Inter for the, through throughout the whole match. But I was surprised at how well Inter managed to stand up uh, against uh, Barca uh, defensively, especially. Um, what, what are your thoughts going into uh, about that game? Well. It's a weird one with Barcelona, right? Because so right now we think, oh, wow, what a team. You know, they just just, just ripped Real Madrid to shreds in the Clásico 5-1. Um, but equally, if uh, those of us who watched Barcelona play Seville, uh, which was their last game before the Inter game, um, you know, we saw a Barcelona that was outstanding while Messi was on the pitch and then went off. And then, you know, this is no exaggeration, could easily have given up four or five goals in the second half, uh, Mark Andre Terstegen probably turned in the best goalkeeping performance of any keeper I've seen uh, this season. Um, defensively, they were all over the place. Without Messi, they 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 they, they were just completely lost. Um, and look, when Messi's not there, you become a lot less threatening. Um, it's 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 not rocket science, right? <laughs> um, and you know, if Messi were out for six months, he'd probably come up with some other way of playing that might work. Or, or, or but because he's kind of he's coming back in three weeks, in some ways he's like, all right, let's not tinker too much. Let's just add bodies to the midfield, hold the ball, and uh, and and hope that Suarez regains his scoring mojo. You know, Suarez had scored two goals from open play since the start of the season, uh, before that game. Um, so I thought there were actually reasons going into it. I thought, my God, Inter can do this. Um, but, uh, a Suarez reminded us that he can also pass the ball a little bit as we know. And I think the other big thing was, I just didn't think Inter were just emotionally drained from, from the Derby. I don't think it was physical. I, I, I think it was mental. And I think that is something that, you know, as Inter, as, as, as Inter grow or try to grow, you know, that's going to be one of the next big leaps one of the next big transitions. You know, you see, the super clubs in Europe um, and, you know, you look at Manchester City, you know, they, they play a huge game. They play another huge game in midweek and it's the exact same, the exact same level. You know, there's no drop off in, in intensity, you know, maybe some fatigue in some positions, you know, whereas with Inter, it's kind of like, Ooh, we shot our load here against uh, Milan, you know, now what do we do? You know? And, and look, it's, it's, I think it might also be an Italian thing. Because if you look at Juve's performances, you know, sandwiches, nothing to, to write home about. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I just wanted to, before we let you go, Gab, I wanted to ask you if you could um, uh, give us, like, uh, your top six in the Serie A and who will be Capo Canoniere. Oh, God, I hate predictions. <laughs> well, You're really going to make me do this? Yeah, I'm going to do this. Everyone, it's, everyone who comes on the show does it, so it would be unfair. <laughs> Top um, six. <laughs> who, who wins? Juve. I mean, obviously Juve wins. I mean, we, we can all agree on that, right? Um, so I've picked against Juve each okay. of the last five seasons. And, of course, they always won the title. <laughs> so this pick, year I'm purposely... Pick, Pick you, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I can live with that. I think most of the people listening to this can too. So Juventus in first. Who you got second? Um, second again. 
at the start of the season, this is, these are not the names I had the start of the season, but at the start of the season, um, I would have had Milan <laughs> serves me right. Um, <laughs> so now, no, I, I, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Napoli in second place, partly because I don't think they're going to get out of the champions league group. And, you know, I think they can use the depth and I think they can really give them a run for the money. I've got, I've got into third. Um, no surprise there, I think. Um, in fourth, I think it's really tight between between Roma and Milan. Um, and since you guys are all Inter fans, you'll appreciate this. I had a conversation <laughs> with somebody who's a financial fair play guy. Um, and basically, he says, basically, if the worst... You like this. The, the worst case scenario for Milan is they don't finish in the top four, and then as a result, and and Iguain drops off, and they send Iguain back to Juve. That is a surefire way to go and mess up both Milan and Juventus in one fell swoop. Because Iguain <laughs> goes back to their book, book <laughs> then it's bye bye Dybala, bye bye Pjanic. Now he might have been exaggerating, but. Um, those Iguain numbers are just absolutely, absolutely insane. Um, so, so yeah. So I've got I've got Roma, Milan, fourth and fifth, and uh, and I have Lazio six. In fact, I I might even go Fiorentina six. Mm. Um, they, again, Milinkovic Savage looks like somebody else this season. You know, Luis Alberto's had obviously had his issues. Um, I think Inzaghi's been kind of smoke and mirrors until now. Um, although he's definitely the more clever of the two brothers, so so yeah, I'll go with uh, I'll go with Fiorentina. Mm, nice one. Who who be Capucanoniere? Is it Ronaldo Icardi or can Piontek uh, surprise everyone? Piontek <laughs> called regression to the mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I have I have Icardi as Capucanoniere. Um, again, no disrespect to Cristiano, but. Um, I even feel a little more confident about it now at, at, at this stage. I just, I just think the way, you know, he scored 44 goals in all competitions last season, right? And I think it was, what, 28, 27, 28 in La Liga. Um, and that's on a team that, you know, and look, and La Liga is different from Serie A because even when you play the really bad teams in Serie A, as we know, not only can they make it very difficult for you to score, um, but, you know, in Italy, we don't run up the score. It's considered bad form. We tend to stop at, at three, maybe four. Um, you know, and Ronaldo scored a lot of garbage time goals. I mean, he scored a lot of hugely important goals, but he scored a lot of goals or certainly felt like, you know, when it was like, you know, they're, they're like 4-0 up against against Eibar, and then, look, he scores a hat-trick in the last five minutes. Way! You know? <laughs> um, that, that doesn't happen in Italy. Like, I genuinely think, you know, if you were 2-0 up, they're not going to try to score more. You know, no matter how much Cristiano shouts and demands the ball. Like, you know, I could see Chiellini at the back telling him, yo, calm down, we don't do this, you know? Um, so, but but even without that, you know, look, 28 goals... You know, how many did Icardi have last season? 29? Yeah. So, that, so you know, that's that's the ballpark. And if we 
if we assume he's going to score a little bit less for the reasons that we said, and Icardi repeats the season that he had last year, which I think is is eminently eminently possible. Um, why not Icardi? Nice one, nice one. I um, you'll you'll definitely be popular by the listeners by saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bad at these predictions too, as you know from the fact that you know, somebody other than you it's. Five straight years. So <laughs> it, it's the it's the Higuain going back to Juve prediction that we need you to get. Yeah, 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 yeah that's the one. Yeah, that's that. If nothing else matters, unless like if you get that one right. No, but well, seriously, yeah. guys, on on that point, like I, I Milan are facing that they will get they they obviously will get a punishment right from uh, from UEFA's confidential control body because because of the breach and all the chaos that happened last year. They're, they're, they're obviously, they've obviously breached again this year. Um, that means that best case scenario, they'll, have, they'll get the punishment and then they'll have to either get a voluntary agreement, but more likely they'll need to get a settlement agreement, which means that they'll have more restrictions if they want to play in Europe. I don't see how they can afford to keep Iguain or even why they would want to. I mean, they're paying him, what, 16 million, they're paying a 16 million euro a year loan fee, plus they're paying his wages, which I think in gross terms are something like 12 million euros a year. That's 28 million euros a season on one player. Mm. You know, a wonderful center forward. But, but, but that's just an absurd, idiotic amount of money to be spending on one guy. And, you know, those guys at Elliott, those guys are, are bean counters. They're going to say, wait a minute, you know, we could go, we could go and spend, you know, a hundred million on somebody, you know, pay them 10 million a year, sign them to a five-year deal and they'd be younger and they would cost us less than Higuain, of course, and have resale value. And he'd actually be our player and not Juventus's player. So put those things together and, there, there, there's no question to me what they're going to do. Um, that you know, unless unless he scores 30 goals or something, um, I think he's going. I, th- I think he's going back. That would be interesting. That would definitely be interesting. Right, Gab. Uh, if people want to follow you, it's at Marcotti uh, on Twitter. Uh, do you have anything uh, like special coming up now that people should look be on the lookout for? Yeah, bro. Piece on um, it should it should drop tonight on uh, Tuesday night uh, for ESPN about uh, about the situation at, at Real Madrid uh, and uh, Santi Solari, former Interstar, and Santi Solari, of course, and that weird um, sort of two week interim uh, contract uh, he has and the chaos at the club. But you know, you guys can keep uh, reading me uh, at ESPN, uh, listen to the game podcast, which I host for the Times twice a week. Um, my columns in the Times on Mondays, and uh, yeah, hit me up on uh, on Twitter. I'm around. Thank you so much for coming on. As always, uh, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Cap. Cheers. Bye, bye. Right. Um, let's move on. Uh, I'm kind of keen to hear um, Richard uh, your thoughts on the Lazio game because I was not expecting uh, expecting that at all. No, it was, it was something else, wasn't it? It was, um, it's a good feeling. I mean, Gab mentioned about performances then, and we got one, a real performance. I mean, I certainly thought, after, uh, you know, when you saw that, the, well, potentially the game's going to get called off, 
Uh, you know, it was absolutely awful conditions. Lazio, even though we've had good luck there and the last two games we've been there, I still thought it's going to be, it always feels like it's going to be a tough game. And then, then he, you know, there's no, none of the ex-Lazio players are starting. Um, you know, the Vrij seemed an odd one. Uh, obviously, Candreva is understandable. But then he starts Jao Mario and you're thinking, OK, OK, this is, it's really raining now. But then what was interesting for me and probably the biggest point that, that I was really pleased with is that I mentioned on the previous, uh, one of the previous pods that when Rajini Anglin went off and Boya Villero came on, I think we really lost a huge part of what we've been, uh, one of our, just a, a huge, um, just the way and the, the speed, the power and the intensity of the way we played. And against Barcelona, I thought that Boya Villero was just not his fault again. I don't dislike the man, but he was just out, outclassed and it didn't work there. What was interesting in this was that Jair Mario didn't play in that sort of Chakotista role that we thought he might do. And he's sort of floating out onto the left all the time. And it sort of became this sort of 4 3 3 at times, and the players were a bit more interchangeable. And that really helped us. And well, that was only part of the reason. There were some brilliant individual performances as well. And Mauro Cardi just is continually, continually impresses. So it was a, it was a really interesting, um, interesting performance. And and for me, I thought it was excellent. The, the 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 they didn't really give up at all. They just continued to to work. And in the end, it was you know fantastic. So yeah, I was I was really buoyed up by that. And hopefully now we know the levels of what that performance is. And probably the best ninety minutes we've seen this season, essentially. I was so impressed. For me, particularly, what really really caught my eye was the fact that Spalletti's um, kind of Spalletti went, you know, shocked everyone by playing João Mario and playing a 4-3-3, kind of, in the sense that João Mario naturally falls much deeper when he plays. Um, mm. and, 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 and how that, João Mario, together with Brozovic and Vecino, completely dominated, um, uh, completely dominated uh, the, the match yesterday. Uh, in midfield, and that's something that we haven't seen Inter do for quite some time, uh, and I found that really, really interesting. And although Jean Mario had an excellent first half, I mean, he's barely played this season, so it's you know only naturally got tired. And then to bring Borja Valero on there, I mean, for me, this was this was a Spalletti tactical win. Um, wh- what do you think, Will? Well, well, I mean, it's the, um, I mean, it's the kind of performance that tells you tells you a lot of things um you know the the italians are, are obsessed with this idea of a salto di qualità you know that kind of making a leap up to the next level as a, as a team and i think that's this is this was the kind of game that made him to do that um i didn't expect us to win 3-0 um i thought there might be a bit of a, a bit of a hangover from the barcelona and the, and the derby um there wasn't absolutely not um, not even close. Not even a scintilla of a hangover. It was no, it was full no, it yeah, was. Uh, was it was pretty. It was, like... it was pretty special. Um, and it, what was pleasing is that, as you said, the, the, there was the performance. You know, if you look at Inter's results this season, uh, this was our ninth win of the season. Uh, but if you look at the eight wins we'd had before, six of them had been by one goal. Uh, one of them had been by two goals, which was the Cagliari game. That was one nil until the 89th minute, and then you had the Bologna game. So, you know, they've we've been kind of grinding and uh, nicking and uh, seeing out wins by hook or by crook. This was just an annihilation from start to finish. It was just a a, a good a, a team that was better than another team, um, and to do that away from home. 
that was that was pretty special. And I, and you know, if you, you compare that performance to the to that infamous match last season in May, when you know really we were the, we were outclassed or we were we weren't in it for seventy minutes, and then something happened at the end. The difference is is remarkable, you know. And I think this team is actually you can you can see it getting better, which is what is so so encouraging. I think the physical. Uh, there's also a physical aspect, you know, Spalletti had to be a bit more cautious at the start of the season uh, because unlike last season, there are a lot of games this year, so he probably couldn't be as aggressive with his pre-season training. That's what certain people have suggested. Um, but yeah, I mean, to do that with Anlang Golan was really impressive because, you know, we kind of thought, he's kind of the key man here and uh, what's going to happen, you know, who are we going to play? And we won 3-0 with Jean Mario on the pitch, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty special. There was, I'm just looking for a tweet that sums up my thoughts on Icardi. Uh, it was from uh, Fabrizio Biazin, who's normally quite good with things on uh, on Inter. He said, "Here we go." He said, "Yet uh, last night, people told me that Inter could have a problem because they're too Icardi reliant." Those are the same people that a month ago told me that Icardi was a problem because he didn't help the team out enough. My suggestion is that you go and take care of your own problems because they're serious. In other words, <laughs> stop, stop, talk, stop making a cardio problem. That's the problem is yourself. I mean, what can I mean? That that third goal was great, wasn't it? It was like a sort of see you later type. Yeah. <laughs> sort of that, fin- that pass yeah. by Jorge Valero, that whole move. Um, Alex, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on the Lazio game because you were pumped up yesterday when we were messaging. I was so pumped up. And, and here's a funny thing about the whole Joao Mario thing, because I when the starting 11 was announced, I happened to be making my very long commute to work. I was in the car. Of course, I wasn't on Twitter or anything like that. So I had no idea. I get to my work and I turn the game on. I think it's the fifth or sixth minute at the time I turned it on and I just see him there on the pitch. And it was surreal. But I'm so glad I hadn't seen the starting 11 announcement beforehand. I would have had a panic attack, right? Seeing Joao Mario in the starting 11, it would not have been good for my my heart rate at that point. So seeing him on the pitch actually playing pretty well, like you said, Nima, until you know his legs just ran out in the second half. He was dog-tired because he's not played any meaningful football. I mean, huge positive for me. I, I tend to root for redemption stories, right? I mean, there are some fans that will see a guy like Mario, given the issues he had last season at Inter and the loan, you know, not wanting to come back. A lot of people will write him off. Oh, I hope he dies. I never want to see him perform again. I actually hope he becomes an amazing redemption story to the point where he can help this team as much as possible. Maybe that leads to a big sale in January or in the summer. Then it's a win-win for the club. But, you know, and, and some of the other things you guys are saying, uh, the feed from Borja Valero to Icardi on the second goal was absolutely masterful. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed, uh, of course, Icardi's performance was great. Brozovic, another master class. But, at this point, it's something hardly even worth bringing up because that's become the consistent level of play for him. Um, I also look at the the post-match comments by Spalletti. Uh, you know, it's funny because we're all sitting here talking about how it was a great performance for 90 minutes. If you talk to Luciano, he, the first thing he brought up was how poor the second half was and it was brutal. It really feeds into what Will and Gab were talking about, the us-against-the-world mentality and how uh, Spalletti, I think, really can can be critical when it's appropriate and he also doesn't want to heap praise when he doesn't find it appropriate because I think if Spalletti was talking to the media after the match and talking about how how perfect of a 90-minute performance it was he probably thinks if he says something like that he's giving his players 
you know, a little cause to relax. You know, he's giving his players too much credit and maybe they won't grind as hard in the next training session and maybe they'll they'll be a little bit mentally on vacation in the ma- in the next match. So I certainly thought that was tactical because, listen, obviously Spalletti has you know, a better idea of what his team should look like than any of us do, given he has a, a higher football IQ and he watches every training session and we don't. But it's hard to imagine him watching that second half and really thinking it was as much of a train wreck as he made it out to be. So I, I certainly think that those comments by him were, were made for a reason. They were made with purpose. And I doubt he really thought it was as bad as he said it was. That's uh, that's a good point. Um, I'm I'm just really um, I'm just really uh, for, for me like what you said about Brozovic there. I, I've been thinking about this for quite some time now, and of all the players that I thought there was going to be uh, that was going to do a salto salto di qualità, as uh, <laughs> as Will put it, Brozovic was not one of those players. I mean, I, I had given up hope on him. I, I can admit that one hundred percent. And now, as you said, so it's San Siro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was hardly alone. Although some people on Twitter would would like to claim that they knew, they oh, you, knew. I mean, go back, think of, go back to January this year. He was Spalletti basically pulled him off a plane to Seville at eleven in the evening. He was going, and then a fortnight later, he was booed off at San Siro, and he he applauded the crowd. I mean, this is like science fiction almost the way that this it is really is. this is all changed around and if he does the same with Jao Mario then he deserves the freedom of the city because <laughs> he is he has been he is he was gone he said in June I don't want to go back to winter I don't like it there I don't like Serie A I'm not motivated you know pretty much he said the Inter fans stink I don't like anything <laughs> let me go and those obviously those comments obviously became a boomerang because everyone went oh well okay so you've said that, so that means that we won't want to offer him to more than 10p for you. And uh, Inter said, no, all right, we'll keep him. So he had to stay. He became a prisoner of his own sort of desire to, to get away. So I, I it, but Brozovic, let's go back to Brozovic. So that was a, yeah. that was a digression. Brozovic, no. I mean, even with that beard, he looks so imposing, doesn't he? He's just like a, like a, I don't know, like a stallion in midfield. It's, it's, and that goal was so good as well. Someone mentioned on Twitter last night that, you know, the way that he, 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 uh, he he made sure that because the pitch was wet, he changed the way he shot it. He, you know, he kept it. You know, he, the, he, it, his his IQ has just gone through the roof. I don't understand it. I mean, it must there must have been a lobotomy in March or something. Because <laughs> he, he's a different man. He really is a different man, and I think it's got something to do with with him becoming a father as ah, well. Ah, yes, that is a good point. Yes. Yeah. And, and we so, haven't even mentioned Brozovic going viral uh, from the Barcelona game with his free kick block, so he's oh, become, uh, wow. he's become internet famous <laughs> as well. He did, he, he did yeah, it again true. yesterday, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, did he yesterday? Yes, yeah. he did. <laughs> the crocodile, the crocodile. Crocodrilo. Yeah, is, <laughs> crocodrilo, yeah. No, this, guy, this guy is, he's somewhat becoming like kind of a... Um, He's slowly becoming like the a kind of a, a cult character. I mean, everything about him is just his 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 facial expressions and that epic Brozo thing. And then I don't know. He's the guy is he's he's a special one, and he's it's like he he doesn't live in the same galaxy as everybody else, as we've as we've said so many times. But as long as he performs like this, because then we're more than happy to to put up with all the all the other nonsense, I guess. Right. Um, uh, let's uh, move on to. Uh, let's go down uh, our. Uh, at this time, we usually go down uh, memory lane. Uh, it's time for Interlegends with Mr. Critty Smith. Non è un personaggio che che può essere sostituito perché era un personaggio assolutamente unico. Il fatto che abbia sempre 
pensato e avuto nel cuore due colori, il nero e l'azzurro. Right, Critty, uh, who have you chosen this week? Uh, yeah, I've chosen uh, the original Ronaldo, not the uh, Portuguese guy who likes to lift his shorts up to show us he has better quads than Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, go um, for it. Yeah, so when you're talking about uh, Brazilian Ronaldo, especially this time at Inter, you have to understand that uh, Inter were in a, were in a, uh, a cut, sort of a slump uh, from the 1989 season onward after winning the Scudetto, and they were desperately trying to get back onto not only the uh, Serie A championships title scene, but also in the European title scene where, you know, they had been, uh, they'd won a UEFA Cup, and um, in Ronaldo's first season, they actually won the UEFA Cup as well, but that was, uh, even in those days, was seen as, as secondary, a secondary tournament. Uh, it's prestigious, I guess, to a certain degree, but, you know, if you're Schalke or somebody like that, maybe you consider that a huge win, but for a club, Inter, that had won European Cups, uh, for someone of that level, it, it, it simply uh, is not cutting the mustard. So they, they, at the time, in 1997, they spent a record transfer fee to get Ronaldo to come uh, to the San Siro. So his first season doesn't disappoint. Uh, you know, it, it's not just about his goals, but it's about the personality that he brought to to enter. Um, you know, a former teammate, Steve McManaman, said uh, back in the day that he could go into a restaurant uh, with just him and a teammate. And by the end of the, uh, the, the the time of them eating, they would have 20 or 30 people around the table. He was just so inviting. And he brought that personality and that that. Um, that I guess you'd say that everyone is watching uh, a style of football to, to the table. We can, we can agree on one thing, if nothing else. Um, he is probably uh, unquestionably the greatest talent to ever play at Inter Milan, probably for any club he's ever appeared for. You know, maybe you can go down Real Madrid's line of great players and maybe you can find someone. But at Inter, uh, as far as pure talent goes, as far as, you know, coming into this world with that God-given ability, I don't think that anyone that we've ever seen wear the uh, black and blue has ever come close to him. Uh, the, the, the issue with Ronaldo, of course, um, uh, wasn't so much his, his playing ability. It was the lack of playing uh, after suffering the devastating knee injury in, uh, you know, the middle of his tenure at Inter. Uh, he, he missed a, a season and a half, an, an entire uh, season was lost due to due to knee injury and um you know that's going to be kind of the story when you when you look at uh why it's so painful to remember him it's what he did after he left inter when he went to real madrid and you know was was this 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 you know this pace setting uh uh player who who just you know kind of reinvigorated that club and and, and brought them to 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 new heights and you know he was unable to win the champions league with real madrid but you know at the same time uh, he became truly a legend with them. It's, it's there that uh, in 2002 in the World Cup, and this is uh, post-Inter uh, as well, um, and then, of course, the Real Madrid days, is where he really cemented himself as one of the uh, 100 greatest living players uh, on the planet. So it's, it's so painful because we, I, I said in the article, it's, it's, he's the greatest what-if in Inter history. And if you look at what, what he what he should have done. I mean, when he played, he scored, you know, but out of 170 appearances that he should have made for Inter, he, he didn't even make 70. I mean, that is, that, that's, he lost that many games to injury. So we'll never really know what, what could have been uh, with, with Ronaldo uh, in the uh, Nerazzurri. It just doesn't, it's just, it's very painful to think back on because it, it has so many uh, 
trophies that could have been associated with it and, and just you, we just and nothing was ever done and so inter had to basically form a partnership they, they had in the middle of his tenure decided to to one up their transfer uh the the, uh, the record transfer fee and they brought in christian vieri and thought you know well if, if you can't have one you can have them both and 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 sort of form this duo and i will say in his last season uh, 2001-2002, Ronaldo did return uh, at the very end of the season, scored um, a very, very short amount of time. He only played in uh, the last four match days. And leading up to the final match day, where Inter were in first place, he scored uh, four goals, I believe, in three matches, uh, critical to Inter's holding on to first place, only to see them drop to Lazio 4-2 on the final match day which uh, dropped them from first into third place. So, guys, it's up for discussion. You know, we can talk, uh, you know, how, do, how, how you all remember Ronaldo, what your thoughts of him are as far as being the most talented player to ever play for Inter, and as well as, you know, what are, your, what, what are, what are some of your greatest memories and, and what's, what are your thoughts on him as he ranks historically? For me, he's not a... He's, he, you know, it's, it's like when Mo says about Cristian Vieri, uh, that he doesn't, you know, he has a problem with him being an Inter legend. I, I, I have the same problem, in fact, bigger with Ronaldo, for the for the simple reason of how he left Inter and for what you said that he only played seventy games out of one hundred and seventy. He was one of the richest men in Italy that Moratti was pumping money to, wages to, and as soon as Inter nursed him back to health, he completely choked on the fifth of May two thousand two, and. You know, he, he's in perfect condition, goes into the World Cup, scores eight goals, wins the World Cup, is basically back to full health after Inter have nursed him back through those three, four years. And then he goes out and says this thing that he says he wants to leave for Real Madrid. He only wants to join Real Madrid. He wants to leave Inter. He's not happy. And forces Inter to let him go for peanuts of what he's actually worth. Uh, of which Real Madrid never end up really paying them, and we have to chase them halfway through every arbitration sports court in the world before Inter eventually get paid. So, and and then that, that's you know, think this isn't even me talking about when he joined Milan and scores for Milan and goes to the Curva and shushes them. So, no, this is uh, for me, you know, yes, as a brand name, he took Inter to a whole other level. He he brought so many new Interisti, but if you look at this guy. You know, we're talking, I mean, I read someone calling him the greatest trader in world football. This guy played for Real Madrid and Barcelona, Inter and Milan. Uh, he played for PSV. I mean, what, what what next? Play for Feyenoord and Ajax? And he completed that. I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, for me, he was a football mercenary, a fantastic football mercenary. But he, he only gave Inter a UEFA Cup win. And uh, other than that, he only cost Inter loads of money, milked the club dry. Uh, for me, he's not a legend. Alex, you know, he is absolutely a mercenary, but in my mind and in my heart, he's absolutely an interlegend. Um, it, it's really hard for me to downplay the personal attachment I have to Ronaldo, even though there were very bitter feelings on my end towards the end of his inter tenure. You know, uh, the frustration of getting him healthy only to see him magically healthy anytime there was an international break. He was playing for Brazil, then he was always hobbling when uh, when it was time to play for Inter. But as far as what Ronaldo, the early days especially, meant to me was, you know, I, I inherited my, my Inter fandom from my father who grew up in Milano. I grew up in the United States. But so I, I, I've been an Inter fan since longer than I can remember. But Ronaldo was really one of the pieces when he arrived in 97 who really made me fall in love with that club and even fall in love with, with the sport more than I had been prior 
just a larger than life acquisition and the talent that he displayed on the pitch. It, it, it to me, sometimes when I'm, when I'm feeling down or feeling bored, I have nothing else to do. I'll watch some of the highlight compilations of the phenomenal goals uh, from, from his tenure with Inter. So to me, it, it's hard to really downplay what he represented in that aspect. Uh, you, you remember the stories, you know, during his time in the late nineties, how other players in the club would say sometimes at training sessions, they would just stop to watch Ronaldo because the things he would do on the pitch were that impressive. Uh, you know, later in his tenure in Nima, you outlined a lot of those things. 5th of May, 2002, one of the most, uh, you know, bitter feelings I, I've had watching football in my entire life. And then, you know, to, to have to then watch him win that 2002 World Cup with those bitter feelings that they had, it, it was a difficult pill to swallow. Uh, so I really have to take the good with the bad for Ronaldo. I think he's one of those players, even with that mercenary status, you know, he, he's one of those types of players that even though, uh, you know, he played for so many different clubs, he played for Inter and Milan, he played for Barcelona and Real Madrid. I guess with him being such a larger-than-life guy, I kind of feel like no one ever really owned Ronaldo. Like, he, he wasn't somebody I can view and say he should have been an interplayer for life. I think with, with that personality and that career trajectory, I, I just think you have to you know, almost look at it like an Ibrahimovic type of guy that he's going to play for so many different clubs. That's just sort of the life path that he chose. He wasn't a Javier Zanetti type. He was a guy who wanted to play for everyone and get glory in so many different countries and so many different clubs. But, you know, overwhelmingly, my feelings on him uh, are very positive, although I do understand the negatives you brought up there. Richard, what are your thoughts on this? I'm with you on this, Nima, I think. Um, I get the point that the the comparison to Ibrahimovic, because we said we talked about him the other week and said, you know, he played for lots of different you know, the Juve and everything else with Milan. But I felt like he achieved and really did a lot for Inter. Whereas yeah. Ronaldo, I think he was under, you know, he didn't do enough. I think he owed us more. I think that's the other thing as well, like you mentioned with the injury. For me, you think Paris, of course, against Lazio. But then I think, if I think of that, I think Zanetti. You know, I think of his debut and I think of Recobo with those two ridiculous goals. So, you know, I think maybe the memory's tarnished at the time. You know, at the time, if I put myself right back in, what was I now, 17, 18 years old, with when Ronaldo was playing and you're watching him week in, week out, and you look at that and you think, yeah, those memories were good then. But because of what happened since, I think I'm on your side of the fence with that one, Nima, because it does tarnish it. And I think from the amount of games he played as well, if he'd if have done this after, you know, 250 games and 171 goals or something like that, maybe a different story. But no, I think after everything they did, he owed us more. Mm. Will, you got anything to you want to add to this? Well, I had the pleasure over the summer of um, going through hours and hours of uh, of YouTube footage from Serie A in the late nineties as part of a research project I was doing for, for someone else who was uh, who was writing a book, um, and um, obviously I was uh, I don't I don't like stressing this point because people always you always get angry at me, but I'm a bit younger. Um, so I didn't actually live through that sort of period. I was, I was sort of, uh, I didn't actually experience Ronaldo Inter. So I don't have this sort of, um, I don't feel the, the burning anger of what he did and, and how it ended and everything. But I, it also meant that I hadn't really fully embraced what he did in that first season. Now, I, I'll say, now, I don't, I, I agree that it's a bit awkward to call him a legend. Because legend encapsul- encompasses many things, uh, but he was 
the most talented player I think Inter have ever had, and probably the most talented player they will ever have. You know, mm. that first season was. Oh, it was amazing. It was unbelievable. He was, he it was, was unbelievable. He was, was... A, a Martian who had descended from another planet. You know, yeah. that he would he would embarrass players on a weekly basis. The speed of his the speed of his dribbling and the way he would sort his feet out was mesmerizing. So, you know, and I, I did um I did a feature for for, for Serpents of Madalena about this time last year about professional footballers who support Inter. Um bit of a shameless plug there. Still out there somewhere. Um, <laughs> go and go have a look. Uh, but they, I was going through them, and the vast majority of players who spoke about their support for Inter basically said, "Yeah, Ronaldo." Like I remember one of them saying, "You know, well, you, you see the footage of the time of kids walking to the stadium with the, that ridiculous razor haircut, you know, because that's what he did. He was just, <laughs> he, he was, he, he was just, I don't know. He was, he was, he was difficult to believe." Um, and it is, it's sad that it ended the way it did. You know, the, the other memory I'd throw in is the, the, the season under Lippi when he, he was out for six months, came back for the Coppa d'Italia final and then did his knee again within five minutes of coming on. I mean, that kind of sums what happened to him up at Inter. Um, it, was, it was very, it was very, um, very disappointing to, to look through that footage and you just think what could have been. Um, and like I said, I don't really want to comment on, on what, you know, how it ended and all that. You've, you've already covered that pretty, pretty comprehensively. But I, I just, you know, it's never worth, it's never not, it's never a bad time to go on to, uh, to YouTube and, uh, and watch his videos because he was, he was one of the, one of, yeah, I don't even know what the words are. It, it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, um, uh, thanks a lot for this, um, uh, thanks a lot, uh, Critty, for um, uh, for, uh, for for this uh, week's interlegend, and, and we'll be we'll be uh, we'll be doing this next week again. Um, now uh, it's uh, time for the part of the show where we pay tribute, rip the piss out of, and criticize someone or something in the world of football heavily. Starting with the positivity, this week's Moratti, which will be presented by Mr. Richard Hall. He's, he works a lot. He's intelligent and. He surprised uh, people sometimes with his uh, ideas. Not easy to find one person of this uh, qualities. Hi guys, right, yeah. Um, you've actually stolen it already, but, so, but I have got a little second part to it. Um, one of the things that I just, when you're watching football now, just to be able to marvel at something you've never seen before, and that was what we were talking about Brozovic with those, well, he's moved the crocodile or whatever he wants to call it, with that, especially the one against Barcelona, which was absolutely ingenious. And it's so rare that you come away from a football match going, I haven't seen that. And, and I just thought that was fantastic. But taking it on just a little bit more, it came to my attention when we were talking to Gab and to James the other week. Now, these, these guys obviously know Italian football more than most. And I think what's just a nice pleasure after doing this podcast for so long is to hear people, not just like ourselves, but I'm talking about these guys coming on the pod and actually talking about Inter as second, third place. And I just think sometimes when we're, we can be a little bit critical of certain things, it's sometimes just nice to sit back and go, actually, we've come a heck of a long way. And uh, so it was when Gab said that today, I just thought that actually, yeah, this is a, it's a big change from where it was. And uh, I thought so I just, it's nice to know that hopefully we're still on the upward trajectory. If there was anyone who was who was disappointed or frustrated after last Wednesday's defeat in the Camp Nou, just remember that two years ago we were losing against Hapoel Beresheva, having gone two 0 up, 
or were we losing to Southampton having gone one nil up. We were going out of the Europa League in the group <laughs> stages. You know, the trajectory that is is great. So don't get your knickers in a twist about a slightly meek performance <laughs> against Barcelona in which we were in the game seven minutes left. Yeah. Absolutely, we- absolutely. Right, uh, let's move on to uh, something a little bit more uh, comical. Uh, this week's Frog, which will be presented by Mr. Will Beckman. E clamoroso! Autogol di Ranocchia! Yeah, I feel almost slightly uh, mean uh, selecting this as the comic moment of the week, but I think it has to be poor Julian Lopetegui for the culmination of one of the worst four months I don't think a football manager could ever have, particularly a Spanish manager. If you are Spanish and you are a coach, you'll probably want two jobs when you set out in your career. You'll want to manage Real Madrid because Real Madrid are Real Madrid. They are one of the biggest clubs in the world, if not the biggest club. And you want to manage Spain. So the thought of managing both in the space of four months on paper is like... The, the greatest glory anyone could ever experience. And unfortunately, dreams don't always come true. Um, and you just wonder, you wonder, he must sit in bed occasionally nowadays and just think, what if I'd said no? What if I'd just stayed with Spain? That, that, how could things have changed? You know, you talk about you know, the, the Lazio Inter game from last year being sliding doors and, you know, the Spurs game this year. Think about him. You know, he was two days away from leading the favourites into the World Cup. And he ended up not doing that, being humiliated, and then getting sacked four months later after the 5-1 defeat against you know, Barcelona yesterday. And the sad thing is, really, it was kind of predictable. There were a lot of people, when he was appointed by Real Madrid and was sacked by Spain, that were saying, yeah, well, he's going to be out... He's going to be out in three months anyway. And it's yeah. just kind of sad how you sort of saw it happen. Like you knew what was, you knew what was coming and it was, you just couldn't stop it. You know, it was, it was, it was very sad. So I do feel sorry for him, but, you know, I think it has to I be. I mean, the way, the way this guy got screwed over by Real Madrid is quite, quite remarkable. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they let it, they, they released the news and he gets sacked. Uh, uh, and he gets sacked by the Spanish national team like two days before the World Cup starts. <laughs> and, and and then he takes over Real Madrid and they kick him to the curb before November. I mean, you talk about getting screwed over. I mean, this guy, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, he, he got screwed. Right, uh, let's move on to something a little bit more negative. This week's uh, Moji, which will be presented by Mr. Alex Donald. Had to dig very deep to find negativity based on my positivity of uh, the way Inter performed on Monday. Uh, so I have two little ones here. Now, the first of these is essentially for Nima, uh, because okay. I think a lot of a lot of Interisti would hear this and probably think this is a huge positive. But I, I caught your excellent rant last week uh, on your fears of, you know, the longer Gattuso is employed in Milan, how that could signal really the downfall of the style of play in the Milan Derby and how, you know, three consecutive matchups he's gone with just a very tough to watch conservative, a conservative approach. I see comments today from Leonardo at Milan reaffirming his faith 
in Gattuso, talking about the rumors <laughs> of him, uh, talking about the rumors of him being sacked for Donadoni or Conti or whoever else being ridiculous, and also saying that you know Milanisti are too obsessed with the idea of Champions League qualification, and maybe they should lower their expectations a little bit. So upon hearing all of that, uh, you know, and of course, of course, sometimes did he say that? Will, he did say that, and sometimes directors will say these things, and then you know, two days later they sack the manager, and it doesn't really matter what they said. But I hear those comments, and it certainly makes me think that you know Nima's wishes of improving the managerial situation at Milan are not changing anytime soon. That's number one. Number two is you know we'll leave we'll leave Italy for a moment. This kind of builds on what Will was saying about the dumpster fire that is Real Madrid. Uh, their captain, Sergio Ramos, not exactly behaving like a captain. Uh, of course, I'm sure every player uh, on that side is embarrassed about their performance in, in El Clasico, dropping 5-1 to one to Barcelona. But, you know, if you scroll through social media, you'll find that on Instagram there is, you know, I'm sure there are probably hundreds of these, but there's a fan account, you know, for Sergio Ramos called Sergio Ramos Idol, who, you know, had this Instagram post where he just ripped the piss out of every Real Madrid player except Sergio Ramos, noted how well Ramos played, but he said some pretty nasty things about, you know, Thibaut Courtois on down, but Ramos played well. And of course, what does Sergio Ramos, the captain of Real Madrid, do? He likes that Instagram post. So, you know, if, ah. if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm any of his teammates, uh, I'm not feeling too good about that. And, and of course, uh, you know, he's really setting that tone for that locker room, guys. Indeed. Probably runs that count himself. <laughs> Might be a burner <laughs> account. Him or, or Mo Salah. It wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me one bit. Um, right. And before we go, I just want to briefly touch on the Genoa game because uh, you know we play on on Saturday. Um, it's. Uh, uh, we're, it's 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 a, it's a, Genoa have been you know have been have had a great start to the season, uh, and despite that, they've. Decided to uh, sack Ballardini and bring back Juric. I think between them, Juric uh, and Ballardini have been the coaches of Genoa for the past ten years. If you add in Gasperini <laughs> and Gasperini, yeah, and Gasperini, those three have been coaching Genoa. It's like they have this kind of like rota system where you do it from April to November. I'll take over. <laughs> They're on <all> shifts. <laughs> They're on shifts exactly. Um, so, so it doesn't really matter how good things go for Genoa. It's it's those three that run it. So, um, uh, but but having said that, they they've got a really really interesting team, a young team. Um, uh, they have uh, and they've caused teams some problems. They drew with Juventus away, and they've got that Piontek fella, um, who some people say is just having a, a, a kind of a lucky season so far. But either way, this to me is the typical kind of Inter. Uh, like trap, isn't it? Like brilliant performance against Lazio, decent against Barcelona, and we, you know, we were we're just w- waiting to walk all over Genoa at home in front of sixty thousand at the San Siro, and it's a nil-nil draw. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that's that's my only fears. But uh, joking aside, uh, I think this is you know what we saw against Lazio was things clicking into place, um, and. If, if things click into place, then I think uh, Inter, I, I, I can only see three points here, honestly. Uh, come And with Mauro Riccardi playing the way he's playing, I'm thinking two, three goals by this guy. Because he's, he's, he looks he looks unstoppable. The guy's addicted to scoring goals. And he, he's, his addiction is, 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 is he's falling off the wagon pretty quickly. Um, so uh, what do you think, Alex? Just a quick prediction. 
Yeah, well, I mean, on, on Piontek, it seems he's been a little little quiet lately, so maybe he is regressing to the mean, like Gab mentioned. Um, <laughs> like you, Nima, I, I find it hard to imagine. Uh, you know, obviously, Patsy Inter is always the specter hanging over our shoulders. I find it hard to imagine anything less than three points in this matchup. And I, I think why I'm so confident in that is that, you know, lately you've you've had a nice run of clean sheets in Serie A, and the, the the defensively they've really stepped up, and it hasn't even seemed to matter over the last couple of matches if it's Miranda or if it's uh, Devry in the back. Miranda put in a vintage performance, uh, you know, against Lazio, so I, I'm getting a little bit more confidence that his form is really picking up this season. And you know, the the big run of of late stoppage time goals that Inter has had have shown a lot of character this season, so. Uh, it's just hard after the Lazio performance to think that this isn't a sign of positive momentum building. So uh, I, I'm thinking it's probably going to be uh, a 2-0 victory at home for Inter. I'm, I'm feeling relatively good about that at this moment. Well, yeah, 2-0 um, seems, seems realistic. Um, obviously, Genoa are playing in midweek. Uh, they're playing at San Siro, funnily enough. They're playing Milan in the game they should have been playing about uh, about two months ago when the when it was postponed because of the, the, the tragedy with the bridge in Genoa. Um, so they're going to be a little bit tired. Um, I suggest if they want to get points at San Siro, they do it in midweek, and not <laughs> at the weekend. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I see what you mean about sort of this is the classic into banana skin nonsense uh, <laughs> cluster bleep. But, yeah, exactly, um, exactly. But, you know, I, I just think with each week of the passes, we're... You kind of feel that less about this team. You kind of yeah. think, yeah, they're actually not Pat Sainter anymore. Because it's not a good thing, is it? It's not, it's not. No. It's like, that's the weakness. So I would say 2 0. Uh, actually, no, I'm going to say 2 1. Because we have to remember that Nima's footballing idol plays ah. for Genoa in midfield. So he's going to score. Daniel Bessa. Daniel Bessa. Uh, he's an ex Inter star as well. So he'll score. But uh, Icardi and Vecino will get the goals. Actually, no, Vecino and Lautaro, because I wouldn't be surprised if Vicardi sat this one out, because mm. uh, Spalletti does. He, he, he left him out in the home game against Cagliari a few weeks ago, so that could, that could happen. That would literally be the ideal solution. Bessa gets a goal and shows everyone why Inter should buy him back in the summer. But he <laughs> did all the points. I, I, I can live with that. I can live with that. I mean, I have this, this little dream of Caprari and Bessa and Benassi playing for Inter in 2020. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not just Americans who are hoping for 2020 to come soon. Some of us are for different <laughs> reasons. <laughs> right. Uh, I'd like to thank Gab Marcotti and Richard Hall and also Alex Dono. Thank you. And you will. Thank you, everyone. Good evening. Uh, Enjoy your week. Enjoy your week. Uh, it was, uh, and until next week, my name is Nimatale Ruzzari, wishing you all a good week. Three points and sempre e solo Forza Inter. 